Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here, here. in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. And today, we're doing a deep dive of one of the most lauded games of recent memory, certainly one of the most highly rated on Board Game Geek in recent memory. memory. Uh, we're covering Arc Nova, which at the time of this recording is ranked number four on Board Game Geek and has been, I think, celebrated by many as a, a management game, kind of following in the footsteps of games like maybe Terraforming Mars a little bit. There's some tag collecting going on where you're looking to get animals of certain types or from certain continents into your zoo, competing with other players for shared goals and resources, all we're working on your own personal player board. So Jake and I are really excited to delve into, I would say what's maybe like one of the biggest games we've covered on the show, at least in recent memory. This is a huge game. There's so much going on. Yeah, I hope people are really excited for this. I know it's one that people have been asking us to do and, and a game that's getting played a lot since release and and still now on people's tables on board game arena so we're excited to be able to kind of give it our decision space take and and try and uh, think about what those decisions are and and how that decision space works so we'll, we'll get in there but before we do let's read a quick review this one comes to us from apple Podcasts canada so thank you so much for sending this review in uh Shoot, I don't have the name of the person. Oh, here. Oh, it's from Stop and Chat. Thank you, Stop and Chat. So this is a five-star review titled Addictive Podcast. Decision Space is the most intelligent board game podcast I've ever heard. The discussions are fun and engaging. This one stands out amongst the numerous great board game podcasts that we're lucky to have nowadays. Amazing. Thank you so much for that review uh, and supporting Decision Space in that way. It goes so far for the show. Uh, If you go on uh, to wherever you listen to this podcast and leave a review just like this one. And thank you so much for your tremendously kind words. Yeah, that was like the nicest review we've ever gotten. And this was this is the last one in our queue to read. So we definitely need some more reviews. So if if you're listening, hit us up. Thanks so much. All right, Brendan, want to get right into it? Let's get into it. Okay, it's been a while since we've done a deep dive, I feel like. So yeah, how do does our, this go again? Yeah, we do our ratings and reviews. Wait, we do we them do some, first before we do, we do the discussion? What the heck? I know, right? And then we do some game background, a little overview, then we just get right into it. I'll go first. Is that okay? All right. Yeah, of course. Okay, Arc Neva is a heads-down management game that delivers a nuanced, deep, and engaging decision space. Its card-driven action system lends the game a stimulating sense of flow and pace, while also giving players a shorthand for what to do next a boon for a decision space otherwise as open as this. While I can appreciate why so many adore Arc Nova, for me, the spark of playful joy that comes from novel systems or playful player interaction or emergent gameplay is all but missing, which means at the end of the day, the game doesn't feel like more than the sum of its parts. And to me, and it has many, many parts, a fine game that I'd be okay in never returning to, six out of 10. Woof. All right, and for me, I found Arc Nova to be a really challenging game to get into. And by that, I mean challenging to learn. I don't think, I think it's just because of the amount of like sheer rules and edge cases here. I felt like when I was eight or nine games in playing Arc Nova, I would still be constantly like taking a screenshot on Board Game Arena and running back to the decision space discord and asking like, wait, why can't I do this in this situation? 
And it's just, you know, it makes me think that like it's hard for me to imagine that anybody's ever really playing this right on the table, or at least, mm. you know, or you're going to be struggling through the first, you know, X number of times. So that was a big challenge. However, once I started getting over that hump and I started getting into the teens in plays, I felt like I was then really, truly engaging with the system and only then really, truly playing the game. And I found the game to be a real joy to play at that point, if you're willing to put in that kind of effort. And I found that, you know, because of how complex uh, and kind of systems driven this game is, it, I mean, that's asking a lot of the players, so it really better pay off. And I feel like it does just because the cards have so much great character that come out in the systems that you wouldn't be able, if, if you have a much more streamlined game than this, like something like Earth, it doesn't have the same amount of character that I find in Ark Nova. And I think that's probably what is a large part of the appeal for so many people. So all that to say, difficult game to get into, but then I found myself really liking it after I did. So for me, it's like an 8.5 out of 10. I would say it's a great game, but not ever probably going to be like among my very favorites. Okay. Can we do a big sigh of relief that that, uh, that you like this game? This is great. We don't. We could have an episode. It's going to be one of those more nuanced ones where maybe I'm coming at it from the angle of a little bit of frustration. You're coming at it from the angle of appreciation, which means it's going to be an awesome episode where we deep dive on what really matters, which is the decisions that the game offers, how they make you us feel as players, etc. Awesome. <laughs> Thank God. Okay, let's do some game background. Jake, this is a 2021 design from Capstone Games, and it's the first published design ever from Matthias Widji. That's amazing. Like as a first design. Wow. Just like that's amazing. Yeah. To go okay. to number four of all time on Board Game Geek. Yeah. You can't really yeah. ask for more than that. <laughs> and it's incredibly ambitious. And I think sometimes people who are looking to design games always get the feedback of like start simple, start small. Clearly, Matthias did not do that. This is like the exact opposite of that. And I think it's really impressive. So in the year it was released, uh, Ark Nova was nominated for the Kennerspiel DRs. It ended up losing to Living Forest, but there's a nice little note uh, from the Spill DRs committee. So I thought we could read it because sometimes we like to do that, even though it didn't win, to kind of contextualize the the conversation what sounds great take? let's uh, okay. yeah will you will you read it i just want to listen you know absolutely modern zoos no longer prioritize their human visitors but rather focus mainly on animal welfare and sustainability arc nova allows us to set up and manage a wildlife park based on our own ideas and values alongside animal breeding programs the construction of enclosure enclosures on park grounds and of course financing the parks through sponsorship there are other things to consider like the relationship to international partners university research projects and animal protection programs only by balancing the attraction of a modern zoo with the demands of sustainable animal protection we be able to win this challenging man management simulation with just five basic actions the rules are thematically accessible and easy to understand and the game develops an enormous depth over time thanks to over 200 cards and a clever timing mechanism wow theme 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 i feel yeah. like the arc like the spiel committee doesn't always lead with like so much about the theme of the game which i think speaks to sort of what i was saying like yeah there, there are a lot of highly thematic games in this hobby, of course, but I think there are seldom few that have a have so much like, you know, real authentic character, you know, coming out of that theme in the mechanisms at play within the cards. 
Um, so I think, you know, maybe that is part of what the committee here is keying into as well. Yeah, I think if there's one thing that does really work for me about Arc Nova is it's so much fun at the end of the game, Jake, to like see the zoo that you've put together. And you kind of as you go are imagining like the physical space of the zoo in a way that that really succeeds, I feel like. Like if you end up with a zoo full of primates, you're like, oh, I'm the I'm the funny monkey zoo with a monorail. And like that part of the game really does win. But I think it's interesting that the even like you were saying, Jake, in the Kenderspiel nomination, I feel like it's there's so much to parse of like, there's this system and that system. And then this system, which is nested within these two systems, that it's hard to even get a real sense for what the nominating committee loved about the game, even though I guess at the end, like the enormous depth that develops over time because it's I, yeah. of the 200 cards. I love this line in particular. Like, what does this even mean? The rules are thematically accessible and easy to understand. I, I, I mean, I think I know what they're speaking to, right? Which is that like, if you have a strong theme, sometimes it's like easier to keep some of the rules in your head associated with that. But I don't find, you know, I've, I don't find that to be the case here, right? Like, it's just, you know, it's like, oh, well, yeah, like a venom token from the poisonous snake is something that's like bad, but I don't, you know, I can't, I play this game 20 times. I can't sit here and tell you I know what a venom token does, right? <laughs> like, sure, to, right. And then there's like the times two tokens that you like you'll use sometimes, but they're just like in, on a few different cards and, you know, so on and so forth forever. And how do all these things interact together? It's, you know, it's a crazy bottleneck. Yep. I think that it also speaks Stuff. to... I, I don't know for me, I agree. I'm glad you highlighted that, Jake, because I think one thing we'll talk a lot about in the episode, maybe as we really get into it, is the degree to which the game is a simulation, but is hyper abstracted. Like the way it approaches sponsorships for your zoo, I find that actually like that's not thematically accessible. It takes a minute to really wrap your head around what's happening here. What is this representing? Like how am why am I putting this special polar bear enclosure? I, yeah, not I, to I be know. confused with partnerships with other continents. <laughs> with continents, yep. <laughs> or or with universities and yeah. Right. There's all these blurred lines. Okay. Before we get into the actual deep dive while we're just kind of bullshitting here, what do you think <laughs> about the name of this game? It's is it like a religious thing? Like what like it just seems like like Arc Nova sounds kind of cool. Yeah. I genuinely have no idea. Like, are we talking about like Noah's Ark and I, that had animals? Yeah. I guess that that's basically what it is. Like, so it's I like guess the new the, it's oh, the new oh, ark. We because we're we're managing scientific zoos, right? So maybe the idea is that like as Noah was trying to preserve people, sorry, not people, <laughs> preserve animals during the flood in this biblical story. So too, we as modern zoos are trying to rescue these these animals and these species from the the modern flood of climate change and extinction i think that's basically all it is yeah, yeah okay the other thing i wanted to ask at this part of the episode is have you played the how have you been playing this game so i've played once on the table and then the rest of my plays have been on board game arena and i think all of those have been played asynchronously and i, I want to highlight that because i think that is how i will continue to enjoy this game the most like i yeah. find it fun to like log on take a turn but my one play in person was it was just really long and it was a bunch of new players too so i think that you know elongated it so like maybe i'd be excited to play this at the table with a bunch of people who really know the rules well but i would not want to be teaching this to new people at a game night personally yeah yeah. And by really long, you mean more than three hours. It was like three and a half or four hours. Yeah. 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 And I've played it entirely 
on Board Game Arena and almost all async if I think there might be one real-time game I played. Cool. And yeah. But you do own this game. I do, thanks to you. Yeah, so I just want to share that story, which maybe I've shared on the podcast before, but last Christmas, uh, my wife has two brothers, George and Patrick, and they both independently bought me a copy of Ark Nova. <laughs> so I sent one to Brendan. Uh, but that was really sweet. And if you're listening to this podcast, thanks. And even sweeter of you to pass along the love. And now you know that you both gave me the same gift. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and thank you for kindly sending it my way. You're very welcome. Maybe you'll break it out someday, but then again, maybe not. But maybe solo. Maybe. If you don't like it, you know, it's yours. You do whatever you want with it. You can sell it. I don't care. All right. And let's listen to the pre-recorded rules overview. And then we'll meet you back on the other side for our deep dive of this epic zoo game arc nova is a heavy low interaction management game that tasks players with building and managing a modern scientifically managed zoo each player has a personal unique zoo board depicting a hexagonal grid onto which they'll build enclosures for animals special attractions pavilions and more to increase the appeal of their park which in turn will give them more income to further build more enclosures and place more animals into those enclosures in their zoo this light spatial puzzle of building out a zoo board helps ground the game and provides players bonuses as they build out enclosures covering up icons that provide those bonuses on their zoo boards. But at its core, Ark Nova is a card-driven game, and this happens in two ways. One, players collect and utilize animal cards, sponsor project cards, and conservation project cards that inform the player's strategic path through the game. Also, each turn players have five actions available to them, which correspond to five action cards that sit in front of them. These action cards are the cards action, build, animals, association, and sponsors. Each of these cards are placed in a row with the leftmost card in slot one and the rightmost in slot five. The magnitude of the effect produced when an action is taken corresponds to the slot the action card is in when it is used. When actions are taken, they're moved to the beginning of the row, decreasing that action's power back to one. This system is the mechanical heart of the game and provides an ebb and flow that's vital to the management feel. The cards action allows you to draw more cards into your hand. The build action allows you to place enclosure tiles to the map. The animals action allows you to place animals into previously built enclosures. The association action allows you to send your association workers into zoological associations, which can increase your reputation, gain you partnerships with universities and zoos from other continents, or allow you to support conservation projects, an important way to get game end scoring points. There's also the sponsorship actions, which allows you to play sponsorship cards that do a variety of different things that have sweeping effects, including placing unique tiles onto the board, gaining a appeal for certain things in your zoo, and more. Ark Nova doesn't follow a typical round structure, and instead players have influence over breaks that periodically occur once a certain number of actions are taken by any player that move the break token towards this a specific threshold. When a break occurs, players generate income according to the appeal of their zoo and some other sources. Appeal is gained in a variety of ways through having animals, sponsorships, and more, and they'll use that income in the future to build uh, more enclosures, add more animals, and further increasing the appeal of their zoo in a positive feedback loop. Also during breaks, 
players have to discard any excess cards over three from their hand, meaning that players have to carefully uh, manage how many cards they have in their hand as a break comes so that they don't have the pain of lost resources being forced to discard cards when that break comes. And this is one of the key sources of interaction in the game. Finally, players influence personal markers on two opposing, but ultimately linked tracks, the conservations track and the appeal track. If at the end of a player's turn or during a break, their conservation marker and appeal marker are ever in the same scoring area, or if they have passed one another, the game end is triggered. At this point, players score their zoo and the player with the most points is crowned the victor. Thank you, Brendan, for those rules overview. As we've been alluding to, there's a lot in this game, and we know that Brendan's not going to be able to get through every single rules interaction and nuance in that short overview. But hopefully, if you haven't played this game, it gives you some ideas of the concepts we'll be talking about in this deep dive. Yeah. So size and depth. We always like to start with characterizing the decision space overall. So we'll talk about like size and depth, type, feel, clarity. I think, Jake, for me, this is just like, it's massive in terms of the decision space, just because there's so many options presented to you at different Whenever you're making a decision, you have lots of things to consider. And you, because of the card system and the X tokens that you can use to move them from slot to slot and the consequences of that, it just like balloons the decision space to be like certifiably massive. But at the same time, because you typically want to be using your actions furthest to the right, for a game that has such a big decision space, I find it's often actually not that difficult to think through what you probably should be doing next because the game leaves things really open, but then sort of meaningfully narrows it because of that novel mechanism of the way the cards work. Yeah, I mean, I th I'm not struck by it being like overwhelmingly large of a decision space in general. Clearly, there's a lot of different things going on. You have a lot of different card types and all that. We've, we've already been talking ad nauseum at this point about how much just like different stuff there is in the game. But I think that the game system narrow that decision space tremendously. Like I think my thought process on a turn is sort of like pretty often like, can I use the most powerful action profitably? And like, if not, how about the next one? And if not, how about the next one? So by kind of like going through that system, usually you're doing something before you start evaluating your third, fourth and fifth card sort of in like priority order. Um, so I think you're right that technically the decision space is really massive. You're, you don't have to engage with all of it on each turn, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, definitely. Though, whenever you, even if you're narrowing to say the three furthest to the right actions, oftentimes there's like sub decisions that you're making on top of those decisions. So if you take like the, the sponsor's action, excuse me, the association action, once you decide you're going to take that action, then you have to decide, are you going to support a conservation project? Are you going to try to make a partnership with the university? Are you going to form a partnership with a with a continent? Maybe you're going to cover up a bonus, then you have a decision around what card you upgrade. And then that's going to affect maybe based on the sequencing, you might think through that, or maybe it's based on what other players at the table have done already. Maybe you want to go back and upgrade that association action again, so you can start buying conservation points every time you use it in the future. I just find like the the number of little wrinkles to every decision, even though the game does kind of narrow it, to me, it makes it feel like you have a lot of meaningful decisions, but you don't have a lot of meaningful feedback on if you're making the right decisions in those moments outside of looking at sort of 
where am I on the in- income track? Where am I on the field track compared yeah. to everyone else and the conservation track? Like that's the main source of feedback, but it's not always clear. I Okay, I'm behind, but why am I behind? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think the, another kind of interesting like characteristic of the decision space here is that I think the game does a really good job of and this isn't going to be apparent on your first, second, third play. But as I play more, I feel like the feedback I'm getting from the game is like it provides you the opportunity to like sort of set these short and like intermediate goals for yourself. So that might be like, I want to support a conservation pro- project before the next break. Right. And then I, all of my decisions then, you know, for this kind of like round of the game, my next several turns, I'm working towards this one specific goal. And then am I able to achieve it in time or not? And now all of a sudden I do get feedback from that. Like, oh, I wasn't able to do it. That was too ambitious of a goal based on maybe the timing, which other players have a hand in. So there's some small incidental player interaction there. Uh, you could say the game isn't telling you you must support this conservation project before the second break. But once you've played the game quite a few times, you start realizing, like, oh, if we're going to the second break and I don't have any conservation projects supported yet, like I'm in big trouble. Right. Yeah. You know, that's really interesting. And I do think the game also, to your point of sort of Jake, of how it's really big, but there's lots of things that focus the decision space. I think another thing that does that really well is this sort of organic break system. So there's no structured rounds like the the Kinderspiel thing that we read at the start talks about how there's no like set rounds, but instead there's this like loose flowing round system based on these breaks that I tried to get out in the rules overview where there's certain actions that you'll take that will advance this shared break marker. And once you've advanced enough, you get to a break and it's sort of a reset end of this like loose round where everyone generates income and you have to discard down in cards. And I think that system alongside the card system is what really gives the game a sense, a good and strong sense of like flow and pacing where you're, you, you get to have those like mini objectives. It might be just, superstructure. I want to play this animal before the next, break, exactly. Right. Yeah. Something real simple like that. And then once you've said that for yourself, it's easy to sort of think back like, okay, like I need to have two more income to do that. Or I need to have an enclosure of this size, you yep. know, so you're you're kind of working backwards from the goal that you're setting for yourself. Yep. Yeah. Or maybe it's, I really want to take my, I know my animal build, my animal's action is at five. So there's a chance I'll be able to build two animals. Uh, okay. So there you I go, Brendan. To, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got to take advantage of that. It's like a free action. Right. So I need to build twice. Okay. I'm going to build twice. What am I going to build? What size of enclosures? I find that even though there's all of this flexibility and players can control the length, tell me if I'm wrong, Jake, but almost always the, my decision-making in terms of like around one of the, like between two breaks goes like this. I need to draw cards to get information about what I could do get a bunch of cards, decide what I'm going to do, try to execute. Okay, now I'm going to discard a bunch of cards because I'm forced to, and I'm just going to do it again. Like, yeah, I think... draw cards, make a plan, do it. Draw cards, make a plan, do it. I don't know. Yeah, that's where I was, I think, earlier on. I bet, I'm yeah. guessing I've played this a little bit more than you at this point, but I mm-hmm. I felt like earlier on, I was definitely like, okay, everything is starting with drawing cards. Yeah. And now I feel like I'm playing a little bit more to 
the board, right? Like my association own personal board? player oh, board, personal board. Uh, and also the cards that I can see on the track right away, the yeah. conservation projects you're starting with and centering those things I've found to be more successful than just drawing cards. Uh, because if you're just drawing cards, then you when a break happens, you have to discard down to three unless you have like a special tile that you can get that lets you discard down to five, which if you're doing like the card thing, that really forces you to like prioritize that tile. But that yeah. tile is maybe not actually the what, what you need to be spending that super precious early association action on in that first and second round. Uh, so I think that's actually kind of like not the best strategy now. But when you're just starting the game, you're like, okay, everything is definitely going to be derived by these cards. So I'm going to try and find synergies in my hand and then get going. But yeah. ultimately, you end up like discarding a lot of those cards or just not being able to play them by the end of the game or focusing too much on them and like giving up other more profitable things. Extra value as you're discarding. Yeah, yeah, totally. So as you as you've sort of grown with the game in terms of like your skill as a player, Jake, would you do you feel that now the clarity of the decision space is clearer overall to you? Or I, how clear do you feel the decision space is? Because it's a pretty tactical game. Yeah. Well, I should also be clear, like I'm still not good at this game. So I don't want anybody <laughs> sure. listening to be like, oh, that's what I used to be doing. Or probably people who are more experienced just heard me say that about the cards and are just like face palming or like <laughs> putting their head down on their steering wheel or something. Sure. When I tried a couple of like ranked games on Board uh -huh. Game Arena just to be like, okay, am I like getting this? Because I've been doing better and better against just random games against friends you, in the Discord and me. stuff. And I played... <laughs> Yeah, and I, I so I played two ranked games and just got like absolutely smacked in both of them. Interesting. So I not this not saying that like I've grokked everything at all, and it does make me feel like the decision space is is still murky yeah. for me. I've seen I've been reading some forums, kind of preparing for this, and people say things like, "Oh, like the Silver Lake board that just like plays itself," and I was mm. like, "Oh, okay. Well, this game does not play itself for me." quite yet and i yeah. think when we think about like all these like intermediate short-term goals you can set for yourself where i still find tremendous like challenge and where i think that there's not a lot of feedback yet for me is like in what what do i go for like is it better to be like trying to like play this one animal early or should i be trying to just focus on you know this sponsorship or setting up my board for for a future round like picking the goal to go for in the short and intermediate term for me is still very opaque and i think i have a really hard sense for like what's the level of planning i should do from my opening hand or like what's the level of planning i should do in the mid game so for example in a recent play okay i got dealt this the american bison card and this is really expensive it makes you really want to go in all in on sort of a, a North America strategy to look for other synergies because it has a lot of North America costs, but it's big. So I know over time I can kind of build towards it. But I think if you start sort of planning towards going for something that's as expensive as that, I think it takes a, a five area enclosure. It's pretty expensive to build that it's just too much early on. So that doesn't make sense. You're not yeah. going to just like be railroaded into your early decisions based on like, oh, I got this card that I'll definitely be able to play in like eight breaks from now. But yeah. at the same time, there is an inflection point somewhere in the middle of the game where if you draw into something like that and you're halfway down the path, 
oh, then it can make sense to maybe hold on to it for for a while and kind of build towards it and see if you can kind of angle towards tactically pivoting towards something like that. And I think those kind of decisions end up being really interesting, but totally fuzzy. So yeah. to me, the decision space is really fuzzy because so much of your path through it feels dictated by what cards are going to come into the market, what conservation projects other players might be, might be playing that you can then piggyback off of. There's There's a lot of fuzziness and not just fuzziness because of the consequences of what's going to happen, but fuzziness in terms of what are the objectives that are going to come into the game? What are those going to be? What are the cards available to us? So you have to think you have to be adapting pretty constantly to them and also just scraping points here and there like you were talking about. Yeah, I found I tend to like want to build up a lot of income and get my like income engine going early. And then when I was playing against these better players in the ranked games on board game arena, it was like the games were just ending way fast, faster mm. than I thought. You know, I think playing more in, inexperienced players are really like, you know, doing that thing that you were talking about, like, okay, get cards, find the right animals, build out the zoo of like all these animals. And if that's what your opponent's doing, then it does make a lot of sense to like get this income engine going because you'll have a lot of time to spend it. But you know, I, I in those ranked games trying the same strategy that had been successful against friends, and now they're just like wrapping up the game, and I'm like ending the game with eighty unspent money, which doesn't get you anything. Yeah, which is a huge waste. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so trying to figure out like you definitely need some kind of income, but when are you pivoting to like you know the points engine, uh, so to speak? You know that is I think I think that's a lot of fun, and there's a a lot of skill in kind of navigating that. But yeah, for me, that's still something. I feel like I need to, you know, continue to get better at if I want to win a ranked game ever. Yeah. And playing into that too, there's those objectives, uh, the conservation projects, the sort of shared goals that everyone can be going for. There's some interesting ones that ask you to like uh, release an animal back into the wild and give you a pretty big chunk of points if it's a re- if it is a has a high appeal. And I think that those make for really interesting mid to late game decisions where it's like, ooh, this is an important part of my appeal engine, but I could give it up for a bunch of or my, an important part of my income, but I could give it up for a bunch of conservation points. Should I do that? So I I think those decisions end up being fun. And doing it early on maybe seems bad because you're losing income, but then you're also like, it's also saving you money because then it frees up a space where you could like then put another animal in that. So that's interesting. But yeah, yeah. I never know how to play those either. I kind of avoid them usually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe we should pivot towards talking about the card system, Jake, because it so much really is like the heart of the game. And I think it will contextualize a lot of the decisions that are sort of packed in here because they're all really driven by this card system. And we didn't talk about the type, but I think it fits in here as well, which to me, this feels very much like a classic engine building, waxing decision space where your decisions grow over the course of the game because you just have more flexibility in in how your cards work, because as we're going to get into it, the card system, you have five simple action cards, and then each of them have a dual side on the back that is like an upgraded power up version that's going to be do a lot to do with the ultimate strategy you're trying to pursue in the game. And I think the round, the way the breaks work, kind of give it a punctuated feel as you sort of like build up and then you get pulled down a little bit if you have to discard or that sort of thing, or maybe you spend your income and then it balloons again. Yeah, you've run, you spent out your money and now you're exactly. like desperate to get another income phase. Yeah, yeah. 
But I agree. Yeah, it's it's pretty clearly one of the yeah, like a punctuated waning decision space. Waxing. This positive. Right. I said waning. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Waxing. Thank you. Okay. Growing over time. Though, you know, there are things like you could fill up your board too quickly. I've run into a few games like that where my unique park board is a little too small. So I think depending on the or I played too many big spaces, too many big enclosures. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, this is really not what I should have been doing. Um, so I think depending on the board you have, you can push or pull in different directions. But overall, yeah, the core feel is definitely that. OK, so this card system, Jake. So I think that I, I have a theory. Or I feel like when I play Ark Nova, it evokes so much the sensation of a Rondell game without it being a rondelle, because so much of it is about taking these set actions in a specific sequence to maximize the benefit that you get. Uh, and planning around them. But then my other thing that I would love your reaction to is that I think this system and the thematic tie-in that it creates is one of the reasons why people love Arc Nova so much. Because I think so much of like business in the world in general is very cyclical. And this system is very cyclical. And I think that because it's ebbs and flows in the way that it does, it makes it feel more like a management game in some way. Because you have this like short and long-term planning, you have to do things in certain sequences. It, you're fighting against a, a, a superimposed structure that's on you that you're then reacting to. And even though like so much of the actual like business management side is abstracted out, I think this system gives you enough planning that it almost like thematically brings some of that back in and makes you feel like you're really doing some like intense, m meaningful planning. Yeah, this card power action selection, whatever you want to call it, this mechanism is a real winner. And I think it wasn't it didn't uh it was not invented solely for arc nova sure there other games have used this type of mechanism before i think age of empires age of empires i know it's some civilization game that i've heard many people reference that this mechanism is you know plucked from or Inspired very similar by. to you know yeah. i don't know if the designer came up with it independently or whatever not commenting on that but i think it's it's a really great system because you're right it totally gives that rondel system uh, where one of the great things about the rondelle is it forces you to pre-plan for you know hitting different action spots like i'm gonna do this and that's gonna help me do this and then i'll get to this pay payoff action and this action system allows you much of that same fun of like i'm waiting for this to power up like you mentioned the animals when it gets to five then i'll be able to get a bonus playing an animal action so i'm gonna prepare for that but just by virtue of switching it from a printed rondelle to cards, it enables it to be much more dynamic in how yep. players use it. And it's almost like the rondelle. I think it's a great analogy. It does feel, I hadn't thought about that, but it does feel very similar to that. But it's a rondelle that is changing as the game goes on and it's changing based on the agency of the player. And that's a really fun system I find uh, to interact with. Yeah, it's also it's interesting because it's almost like a rondelle where you have control over where the segments are going to go, because right. sometimes, you know, OK, if my build card and my animal card are right next to each other, I can just build and then put animals into it right away. Like I'll, I'll do my build action for five, then I'll go and do my double five for animals. But then there's going to be times where they get on the they sort of are broken up in terms of sequencing. And I think that that's where a lot of the nuance and depth comes into play too, is like figuring out how the sequencing works here, figuring out when to spend X tokens. I think typically those end up feeling to me like pretty meaningful decisions of, okay, wh what do I want to spend this valuable resource where I can increase the power of a card out of, out of order more or less? Um, and that's where I feel 
not being that strong at this game, I feel like if I am getting any feedback, my it almost feels like, oh, I'm making a mistake in what I'm spending my X tokens on too much, maybe. Yeah. I don't I, know. I find myself probably being too conservative with the X tokens because there's such a precious resource to be able to like, you know, break the rondelle right get extra powerful accent based on where the card is so i want to like hoard them and save them for the late game so that i'm not going to get screwed over by someone ending the game and i am out of position to do the action that i really need to do to maximize my score but almost certainly i should be trying to find opportunities to get value out of them early because that can then so basically everything you're doing in this game is improving your like income phase in some way. And and especially when you move up the conservation track, right, you can get all kinds of different bonuses, including putting out extra what pens for animals or, you know, getting specific cards from the display. So you really want to be getting those early. So I think you probably should be, you know, using the X tokens early. If you can hit some kind of benchmark early on, that's going to then fuel you into the late game. But at the same time, you really don't want to be kind of caught uh, with your hand in the cookie jar at the end. And then you're like, oh, dang it. I had like a double animals to play and it was going to give me a ton of points. And now I don't get to. And now the round's over. Yeah. 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 So maybe what do you think if we just go kind of card by card and talk about the actions to kind of ground the decision, the conversation? zone? yeah, that sounds good. And I think starting with the cards action, uh, this is the action that enables you to get more cards into your hand and the cards in this game come in three variety the bulk of them are animals but then there's also sponsor cards which we'll talk about the sponsor action in just a second and there's also the conservation project card uh so i mean that's pretty pretty simple the the more powerful the action is the more cards you get and also a greater selection of cards i think the the most advanced one is like draw three discard one or draw four discard one if you're on the flip side yeah, draw four, discard one. Whereas on the front side, it goes up to draw three, discard one. Uh, and then there's also the snapping, which lets you take from the row. I think c- the cards mechanism is really interesting. I love that there's a little bit of a, a filter there too. That again, like forcing in a nested decision where it's like, okay, draw three cards, but then discard one of them. So make a decision right now based on the information available to you, what you want to keep and go forward with. And I think that that little bit of extra sort of decision to make in terms of what's going on here, it, that's part of what lends the game such a tactical feel because I, I don't know, you're just always asked to make these like little additional decisions on top of your sort of core decision. And then the cards action is really important too, because it's always going to advance the break uh, yeah. marker by two. So that's the sort of thing that's driving, driving the game closer to another income phase closer to people having to discard and there's a lot of really nuanced decision around that too right about pushing it towards the income phase if you are the one who triggers the income phase you get an x token which we just talked about being really valuable but you're also providing all that income to your opponent so sometimes it feels like you almost have to take a pass turn in order just to trigger that because you've run out of stuff and yeah you get a little x token but then your opponent just has the ability to like keep rolling along and I, th- I think that is something that's also not it's almost like bad benchmarking because it seems like something you want to be the one to trigger it because you get a bonus and then everybody gets the same income. But I think you don't want to trigger it almost ever. The more I play the game, the worse and worse it feels to be the one triggering it and giving all that income to my opponent so they don't have to take an offbeat turn ever. To, yep, that's really interesting. And sometimes you kind of end up in that position because you've run out of money 
Uh, right. And you run out of association workers. So you feel kind of forced to be the one who's doing it so that you can get the income back. But usually if you're in that position, it's because you're already behind. So I think that's one of the reasons why it can kind of feel bad too, is oftentimes like if you, if you ever take the, the uh, sponsors action and you break for five and gain five income, that often feels in my experience, pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't find myself using the sponsor card that way very often. If you can avoid it. If I can avoid it. Yeah. That's almost like if emergency, like break glass, like, yeah, you can sometimes like, okay, I, if I got two more income, I'll be able to like, you know, play this big animal or whatever. And so you just do it, but yeah, generally not where you want to be. And we should also say again, this kind of break token is probably the biggest single element of player interaction in the game i mean there's incidental player interaction kind of all over right where you're competing for shared goals you're maybe taking cards out of the display that your opponent wanted to take and so on and so forth but it feels like jockeying with the break track is where like the interaction feels like most meaningful and you can like most intentionally kind of engage with your opponent's tempo in that way and the flip side of that is if you do use the sponsor's card, right? If I see Jake, you building up for this big double animals build and I can, I have my sponsor's sort of action right in the fifth slot. That's where you can have these glimmers of like, oh, I'm really going to stick it to you because I'll just take a break right before you plop in eight more appeal or nine more appeal worth yeah. of animals onto your board. Or sometimes, yeah, you'll see somebody with like six cards and you're like, oh, I can right. make them yeah. discard three cards right now. Yeah, but All that's right. pretty much, yeah, as far as it goes. So that's so the, cards. Yep. <laughs> well, we started talking about sponsors. Should we finish the other part? Yeah, yeah. So the other side of sponsors, you have all these like, I don't know, they're, they're kind of like individual goals. The sponsor cards are so weird because they work in all kinds of different ways. Some of them give you benefit for playing them based on like all, all the predator tokens you have. If you have predator icons on your cards, like you can get some money when you place this down and then future predators you play give you income, something like that, where it's kind of like asked you to specialize in some way. But one thing I love about Arc Nova is like that. That's like the simplest iteration of the sponsor. And these cards are just absolutely crazy and do all kinds of insane, complicated stuff that really feels like the designer, even in their first design ever, uh, first published design ever, I should say, is like completely pushing up against like the boundaries of, you know, all the systems in the game. Like there's sponsors that like reward you for having unfilled spaces at the edge of your board and everything in between. Yeah, it, it's it's really hard to be like, this is kind of vaguely what these cards do because there are so many different effects. Like some of them have you gain, gain appeals. Some of them are giving you conservation points. Some of them, like I referenced earlier, allow you to add these unique buildings to your, to your zoo board. And it's sort of, it's fun because it ends up being another way that sort of one of the core ways that you interact with the system is this loop of get income to build enclosures, to put animals into those enclosures to get more income, right? There's other things that are going on with that sort of core loop because it's a nuanced game and nothing kind of interacts with one system. Everything kind of interacts with multiple systems, but sort of layered on top of that is then this sponsors sort of puzzle where once you Every sponsor card has a different cost. So typically, though, you're kind of like aiming towards getting up to five. So you need to have the sponsor's action push all the way to the fifth spot for some of the more powerful ones. So I I think it just it acts like a speed bump, but also potentially a minor comeback mechanism at times, too, where it's like you can end up with a good sponsor card that you can build towards. 
I don't know. I found this system really confusing at first, but that it makes for some some meaningful and interesting decisions, whether it's this is where if you get like an early card that you can build around a little bit more, it can make sense to kind of shift your strategy overall and give yeah. you to search for on the board in terms of cards to pick up or that sort of thing. Some sponsors do almost nothing and some sponsors <laughs> want to make you change your entire, entire game strategy. where you could just yeah. focus only on this one sponsor card for the rest of the game. So yeah, a lot of a lot of variety there. Um, so the animal action, Brendan, this is the one that allows you to play animal cards out of your hand into, is it, is it a pen? What are they called? An enclosure. An enclosure, thank you, in the zoo. And the in order to do this, you have to pay the appropriate cost in money, but also a lot of the animals have specific requirements, like you have to be next to rocks, or you have to be next to water, or you have to be, you know, have a, a partnership with the continent of Africa. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, that's that's the animal cards, and then the animals, similarly to sponsors, are range from almost doing nothing at all for you to being like wildly impactful on the game state yeah and it's interesting too because it's sort of you know in my rules overview i talked about how there's this sort of like more or less like the the further to the right the card gets the more powerful it is which is true but the animal card has this interesting thing where in slot one on the basic side you cannot add any animals to the map in slot two you can add one in slot three you can add one in slot four you can add one and then all the way in slot five okay you can put two animals into enclosures so it creates this sort of interesting texture where it's like, okay, my animal card's moving, but unless I'm going to spend X tokens, it's almost always doing the same thing. It's more about, do yeah. I have the money to pay for what's there? Right. Which is interesting. So the association track is next, and the association has its own board on the game and its own five actions uh, plus bonus action that you can do with it. We haven't talked about reputation at all, <laughs> but yes. reputation is a really important track that you'll be moving along that helps you with acquiring cards and also enables you to flip over one of your cards early on in the game. So it's really important to get to three reputation as early as you can in a game of Arc Nova so that you can power up one of your cards. But yeah, the association is how I guess the most important aspect of it is getting partnerships with continents, universities, and then the most powerful action on it when it's in the five slot, you're allowed to use it to support one of the shared goal conservation projects or play one out of your hand if you can support it at that time. And that's how you get conservation points, which I'm sure Brendan mentioned in his rule overview is one of the tracks that you'll be working on going up to ultimately end and win the game. I find this to be one of the most important cards in the game. This is the one where it sort of feels like if I'm not using this appropriately and thinking strategically around what I'm trying to accomplish it's the, and using this card effectively, the game's going to go terribly wrong. And it's it's also sort of like if you get all the way to five and you, you find yourself being in a spot where you're not supporting a conservation project, the opportunity cost of that can feel pretty high. There's obviously there's times where you have to do it and just take take a university partnership or a partnership with another continent. But oftentimes it sort of feels like a, a really a huge missed opportunity the decisions around around what to pick are sort of nuanced and interesting but also the light interaction that's here is kind of neat as you both as you and any of the other players are kind of angling for the limited tokens that are out none of these 
it, it, like they're called association workers, but you're never going to block a spot. And if you want to do the same spot again, you have to spend two workers if you do them yeah. back to back, right? So you could potentially take the conservation action. That's like another one that's just like small rules that you just like forget about. And then it's like, why the hell can't I support this conservation project I've been working to all game? And, and then you post in the Discord, and that's like, oh, Jake, you already went there once this turn, so you'll need two conservation workers to go there. To go there. <laughs> so you kind of block yourself. That's a, <gasps> This one's funky because it's almost, you know, it's dictated by how much time you've invested, but also just access to those workers. So that's another thing to consider. One of the, like, myriad things. you got to get access to more workers as early as possible so you can take more of these powerful actions. And get, I, I don't know. There's just, like, so much going on. Also, the upgraded effect, Jake, where you can spend income to just buy conservation points. The first one, it's, like, pay $2, two whatevers yeah. to get I, one conservation point. Insane. So good. Yeah. I think that might be, like, the level one most like dominant strategy is just like upgrade this and try and get as many of those as you can. It feels like you have to orient. I think that's sort of like the, the game's decision space is like, is focused on two poles. One is like building your income engine. That's like the animals and the, and then the other side is conservation. And that's how you actually like win the game. Uh, And the game, it doesn't really present itself to it's it's almost like the signposting here is just I think that's part of the reason feedback is so hard. But I think like really to do well in this game, you kind of want to be starting from the first turn thinking about like how am I getting those conservation points? And of course the association action has to be an enormous part of that strategy. Yep. And then the final card action is the build action. This is the one that literally gets a little bit more powerful every time it moves to the right. It's also linked to income like animals. It kind of highlights how bound those two actions are. You have to use this action to create space so that you can place your animals. And then once you upgrade it, you could build one or more buildings. So it gets so much more effective where on the first side, you're always just building one building. So if it's in the sort of this spot, you can build a building up to or an enclosure up to five, five spaces. But if it's on the back side, you could build a, a two, a one a, and or, or two in an enclosure that's sort of two hexes plus three ones. It gets all mixed and matchy. And again, feels so powerful. So much of this game, kind of your strategic path feels dictated by what card did I decide to upgrade first and second? And that's going to inform my strategy more yeah, or less. It's super powerful for sure. And then, but also has all the, everything you're building with it costs money. So sometimes, especially early on, you'll be in a situation where like, oh, I could build m- more enclosures. Yeah, to work towards that puzzle. But if I do that, then I won't actually have the money I need to play the animals that I want to play this round. So, you know, again, like there's just so much great tension with the action selection mechanism here where it's like you want to be using your cards as powerfully as you can. But there is a lot of trade-offs to think about or, you know, just to highlight again, the association action, right? You only have a limited supply of workers. So once you've spent that the first time, you don't really have anything you can do with that card. So I find myself with this, a really kind of delicious decision a lot of having that card in my five spot. Like it's ready to go, but I'm in the middle of a break round. So it's like, do I just, you know, either just take a skip turn to basically discard it to, to the bottom? Or do I just leave it there and take less powerful actions for the rest of this round yeah. without really a clear idea of how long this round's going to go? Uh, so that as soon as the break happens, I get that worker back. 
I'm going to like hit this shared objective first and make sure nobody else gets to it. Which again ends up being such a nuanced and interesting decision yeah, it's a good, to, it's, to get to make. It's, it's a good decision. It's yeah. neat. So two thumbs up for the action selection mechanism here just overall. And I, I'd love to see this more iterations of this. I want to see this yeah. as a lighter game. I want to see this in all kinds of different mashup genres. Yeah. More what of do this, you think please. We, you know, we've, I think it's illustrative of the fact that so much of this episode now has been dedicated to really talking about this action selection system, because in some ways, everything else about the game is just kind of tracking what you do with this system, right? That, that's the you, game, right? That, th- those are the, the levers you're pulling. Yep. Even the player board, like this light spatial puzzle that's there ends up being kind of interesting, but if it was any more complex, it would just be too much. So it's, again, this hyper-abstracted little spatial puzzle game that's really just more kind of limiting. Is it, Are you putting stuff next to things that they should be next to? Is your board full? You'll get a benefit for that. Besides that, yeah. I don't find like I'm able to make as interesting decisions here as I want. And I, I sense, though, that a huge part of that is because I'm not as good at the game as I should be. But I don't know if like the depth in terms of decisions around that end up being there outside of the unique player boards that you mentioned earlier in the show, Jake, where it's sort of like, OK, in this in this map, there's this interesting sort of gate in the center of the board. Whatever I build next to it, my enclosures get two extra room. Okay, great. I'm just going to put lots of small enclosures next to that and shove big animals in them, right? And that's going to give it a, a different feel. And, you know, I think a lot of the fun and depth and replayability of Arc Nova is being served this unique player board that can totally shift your strategy. Like, this game is, is zany in terms of the potential that it can push and pull in different directions in a way that I think is part of why there's all this huge excitement for it. Yeah, we've been critical in this podcast in the past about asymmetric player powers being things that are just like really difficult to engage with. I like them here a lot more in a less interactive Euro game Mm. than I think I do in a game like Root that's highly interactive because here like the the player boards are like really unique, uh, which is great. Like it feels like you get like a Castles of Burgundy board, but each Castles of Burgundy board instead of just being like a different setup is a different setup, but also has like a unique player power associated with it. And and a lot of times those really dramatically change the way you want to play the game, like just like in Castles of Burgundy, but to like an even greater extent here. And I find that really fun to kind of dive into. Like it made me want to play this game 10 different times for sure. So I could try out all the different boards. And that was a lot of fun doing that. So I think that's a big value add right there. But I don't have to know what yours does, Brendan. Does yeah, totally. <laughs> Which I think speaks to like how you know relatively low the player interaction is here overall. Like if I don't have to care about what your unique power is, and obviously like at a super high level, of course I would want to know so that I could you know interact within you know in at least insofar as the market card market goes in the break. But but in general, you really don't, and I think that's that's pretty great and fun. However, just just to throw this in there because I think people would be annoyed if we didn't. I don't think the boards are very balanced. Like I think there's a clear hierarchy between them. And specifically, there's a board Silver Lake, which is the board that has a big lake and income around the side of it that you can get. That is apparently just like completely shabusted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just like, I feel like a constant thing that 
it's just it's really hard to balance player boards like that especially in a system as nuanced and big as this but i feel like it, it almost ends up like that's fine just like yeah. give the newer players the busted stuff if you're more experienced play with the stuff that's not as strong and that's fine like I that's think it's actually yeah point. it's kind of good yeah exactly yeah maybe not nice for if, if was... you're like want to like try and get to the top ranks of board game arena and you're like great now somebody got the silver lake board so i'm cooked yeah right but but if yeah if you're just like casually playing to have fun maybe something to be aware of but otherwise it's great and it's just also i I saw there's like an expansion of course coming out for arc nova soon and i think they've also done small like kind of board expansions possibly but like what a great place to like explore and i feel like you know the system here is so good and incredibly demanding as we've already talked about but once you have sort of internalized it it you know it does feel like something to me that's like just infinitely interesting iterations on like i would love to try out new different boards as they come out as well as like new animals and sponsors because you know if this is like the base stuff they came up with like i can't even imagine (laughs) what like the wacky expansion powers could be i think this it also does a really good job these unique boards too of just from the outset, like you look at your board and it's sort of like, how should I strategically approach what's going on here? Like it, it, it again, this is another system that's really inviting planning because of the way that the, when you cover up certain icons that that works or oftentimes the powers have to do with building in certain locations on your board or connecting things. And I think, again, that's another thing that's sort of, it's inviting the player to plan. You can kind of ignore it if you are just learning the game. Like, yeah. okay, great. I, I'm going to cover up stuff. It feels good. So things that you can kind of ignore because you're just going to get benefits but if you pay attention will be really meaningful are the things that lead to depth in games and i think this is another just design decision that made this game be as replayable as it is and has led to it being as adored as it is even if maybe it's not like a huge win i don't know i think they're cool i think the board placement puzzle is something that probably has a really high skill ceiling to like yeah but you're only yeah. ever going to get like the smallest edge on your opponent sure by like doing the best job maximizing it. But it's just fun, like, you know, for us engaging with it as a more casual perspective, because they're all like, there are little choke points on the board. And like, yeah. the, the boards put you, you know, pose problems to players to solve. Yep. But they're not insurmountable problems. Like you can definitely figure it out in your first play, you're just probably not going to be able to, you know, do it in the most efficient way that ties into your, you know, synergizes the best with whatever sponsorship cards that you have. Um, but that's there too, if you want to explore it, but it absolutely does have just that simple fun, like building a board, like the tile placement of like building a city, building a zoo, whatever. Like I've left this space and now I'm slotting in this tile just right. And that feels great. Like that, those endorphins are hitting and, you know, it like the, you know, it, it terraforming Mars, this one, like there's a lot of good endorphins between, you know, a tableau card builder when it's tied in with like some satisfying tile placement there's something that just appeals to us about that as gamers yep, for sure okay jake what if we close by talking about the scoring system just a little bit alongside this like critique of output randomness that people like to levy against this game where the the like vague criticism that i've heard about arc nova historically that i think it would be good if we weigh in on this conversation on decision space is oh arc nova is really great but sometimes you just don't draw the cards that you sh- need to so you lose okay right right like that's the that's the critique so yeah. That plays directly into the scoring system where you're all going after these shared objectives. 
where there's certain slots, right? So the lowest slot might give you two conservation points for having two primates in your zoo, or you could get uh, three conservation points for, or four for having uh, four primates in your zoo, or five conservation points for having five primates in your zoo. Um, but if someone takes the third slot, the one that's two primates and two conservation points, you can never claim it. So if you get to two, you have this interesting decision where you have to ask yourself, do I think in this game I can get to four, four primates in my zoo? If so, I should probably pass up on the two because I can never add another one to this project. And then you have that again when you get to five. It's almost like our our celebration of the mechanism in Kanagawa that's kind of like this too, where you're sort yeah. of like asked to call your shot. And the longer I play this game, the more I actually really enjoy the conservation shared objectives. And it ends up feeling pretty interactive. And oftentimes, and I want to hear all your thoughts on all of this, Jake, but oftentimes I feel like when I end up trying to push for like, okay, I have two primates early on. I'm going to be the primate too. I'm going to go for four. I feel like I did it to myself if I don't get there usually, you know? Like, yeah. Like, I don't see the critique. I feel like the game gives me the tools to typically just make happen what I want to happen. Sometimes, obviously, you, you kind of get lucky and you you have like four reptiles out there and you draw the reptile conservation project and you luck into a bunch of points and that that will happen. But I, I feel like more or less that doesn't typically happen due to how the game really incentivizes. I don't know. Oftentimes, if you're going to work towards something, you have to work towards it. You don't typically just fall into things in Arc Nova. I yeah, I have thoughts about all of this, starting with the conservation stuff. It's interesting because it seems like the, the base conservation projects, that structure of like you need to hit twice to get the lowest one, then four, then five is the same throughout. But like the availability of the things you want to get mm. are wildly different. So getting five primates seems really hard. And it's also not guaranteed because that's one where like the primates might just not come out of the Deck, deck compared to like the same structure but for like supporting different like having the icon of the five different continents yep because that you have like a guarantee essentially that you can get to because you can get the partnerships with a different continent on the association board and those refresh after each break so it feels like you could just make a much safer bet that like if I'm at two really early and, and for whatever reason, I don't want to just take it now to get my engine going or maybe that's already gone. Like I can't I know I can get to four or five where if I have two primates early, you know, it's very plausible. Those are the only two primates I'll have the opportunity to take. So I do kind of agree. This doesn't really hold for your first play because how how could you know that or whatever? But once you're familiar with this game, if you pass on the third slot for primates and don't get there, it's like, well, you kind of knew the risk. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> you exactly. know, maybe that wasn't the smartest thing there. But so, yeah, so I think those are just kind of different. And then there's like the science tags and that's almost in between the two. It feels like there's more ways to get science tags. But again, you're going to be relying on cards at least somewhat. Anyway, but yeah, I think I've heard that criticism too. And I... I think we're just the wrong people to ask this question of because we think challengers is like fine. We're just like yeah, that's plenty. right. <laughs> so like if 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 challengers is has enough skill, you mean about the output randomness? Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, right. Then obviously Arc Nova I think has a way. It's it's interesting when you talk about like output randomness, input randomness. Like how much do you want? Right, like chess being yeah. on one spectrum or whatever, being like okay, no randomness. You know. 
Magnus Carlsen's going to beat me one million times out of one million times, right? Yeah. And I think that Arc Nova, I was I saw a comment of this on Board Game Geek that's like the highest rated player, ranked players in Elo and Arc Nova are are like Elo eight hundred or something. Yeah. It's which it's means a huge skill ceiling. It's a huge skill ceiling, which means they're beating a one hundred ranked player like nine out of ten times or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and. You know, if if that's not enough for you to feel like the better player is going to win 90% of the time, then that's perfectly fine. Like, that's something you should know about yourself. And I think that tells you a lot about the kind of games you'll enjoy. But I think for most board gamers in this hobby, we're playing, you know, once a week with friends. Like, that's almost on, like, the high end of what I want, right? Like, I want a new person to be able to come into a game and have a chance and, and be able to feel like they're actively, like, engaging in the game uh so yeah i don't see that argument that there's too much randomness or luck in this game really to hold any merit whatsoever for me and with that it is going to bring us to the end of this week's episode our deep dive of arc nova i do hope that you have enjoyed your trip on this interdecisional spaceship for me arc nova is a great game though maybe not one i'll be bringing out at game night that often and for brendan less so but nonetheless We hope you enjoyed this deep dive conversation. For the pre-planners, you should know over the next couple of weeks, we'll be doing first a design-focused episode on playtesting and prototyping, and then a fun episode that's going to be our now annual top 10 games that we've been enjoying thus far in 2023. We know that we have a plans to cover food chain magnate in the future and brendan and i have also been playing a lot of santa monica and torres over on yukata so perhaps those will be getting a deep dive soon though honestly we're not totally sure just yet and lastly we just want to thank our friends hembry for our intro and outro song reach out thanks so much and enjoy the rest of your week goodbye y'all